even seen even a, a glimpse or a portion of you in your fullness. It's enough to stop us in our tracks, to turn our life around and worship you forever. We bless you. You're majestic. You're glorious. You're wonderful. Savior of the world, risen God, risen King. We worship you, Jesus. There's no other name we like to sing but your name. There's no other name we like to think about, pray to, pray through, but your name. The name by which all men will be saved. Every knee bow, every tongue confess. You are Lord. You are Lord. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seats? Good morning, Wayne. Good morning, church. How you doing? I feel a little bit outweighed on this side this morning. A little bit like I need to. This side this morning is going to even things up a little bit. Was that you then, Matt? Did I hear your voice then or did you stay quiet? Yeah, that's okay. There's time. School holidays. We're going to try and be quick. Okay? I want to uh, take, your, take you back to Friday week ago. Two Fridays ago, we were at the Olive Tree Friday night service. And uh, we looked at the beginning of the book of John. And we looked at this, remind you, and for those that weren't there, get you up to speed here, that John was baptizing at this time. He was calling people to repent for their sins and to come and be baptized. That's in water, full submersion, washing away the, the sins of the past and coming up forgiven. This was John's call, and he put it out there, and people were streaming to him. John was a rabbi that had his own disciples his own gathering, his own posse, group of people that was helping him. And things for John's ministry were going quite well. And it was gaining traction and was moving forward and he was becoming quite famous. At one point, Jesus comes. He walks by and John stops what he does and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And so much was he impacted his disciples noticed how impacted John was, that two of John's very disciples left John as disciples and became followers of Jesus. Jesus moves on. He goes, and we read in the second chapter of John that he goes to a wedding and he performs his first public miracle, turning the water into wine. Uh, and, and not a lot happens at this time. It's just the odd miracle. The odd story is uh, Jesus has just turned 30. He's just turned that age where he's, he's given a little bit of respect and he's worthy of listening to. So he begins his journey. And that's what I want to ex- expand a little bit from this morning. So with that background, we, we looked at that on last Friday. Um, I, I want to see this transition between this, this John who is uh, gaining momentum in his ministry of repentance and baptism, and this transition of Jesus coming in and overtaking John's ministry to start bringing about the kingdom of God. Okay? John chapter 3, verse 22, it says this, Then John and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Jordanian countryside. 
Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. So here Jesus begins baptizing people. Because there was plenty of water there. And people were coming to him for baptism. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man that you met on the other side of the Jordan River, so he's talking of Jesus, the one that you identified as the Messiah, he's also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourself know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear the vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. So this is the moment in the story, this is the moment in the gospel where Jesus starts to gain traction and momentum and a following and a crowd. Wherever he goes, and followers are being uh, added to uh, him wherever he goes, Jesus attracts, a cr- notice Jesus attracts a crowd everywhere he goes. A crowd starts, it's, it's not long, Jesus is teaching, and then you, you read through the scriptures, all of a sudden he has to feed like 5,000 people. Because like a crowds of people are just attracted to Jesus. He's like he's gone even one step further than John, maybe even two steps. Like he's, he, the ministry of Jesus overtakes this ministry of John, which was famous already, and John steps back and said, no, this is how it's meant to be. I've got to become less. He's got to become greater. I've seen something, John's thought. I've seen something of the future of the kingdom of God and what must take place. And this is good. And this is right. And this is it. He's the one. He's the Messiah. So Jesus attracts a crowd everywhere he goes. He loves a crowd. He gathers disciples and the kingdom of God begins to grow. I want to think about that thought this morning. This is, this is where I want to get to. The kingdom of God growing. Jesus starts to, to, to gain traction. He starts to, to have people around him. The, his fame starts spreading. The, his healings and his miracles, the, the, the gossip starts to get around and people are traveling from all over the countryside to start to follow this Jesus. The growth of the kingdom has begun. Okay? You with me? Growth. Development, productivity, expansion. These, these are all kingdom express to grow. Was always meant to develop. Was always meant to be productive and expand. You're with me this morning. You're going to make me work hard for this this morning or are you with me? Come on, you few people on this side. Growth, development, productivity, expansion. Some people don't like these words. Sounds too natural. It sounds too hard work. Doesn't sound supernatural. But this is the growing and expanding, multiplying wherever he went. It was around him, right? It was the very nature of the kingdom to grow. Now, growth in the kingdom. Oh, think about this. What does it mean to grow? What does it mean for the kingdom 
to grow? Hold on, Wayne, I'm going to answer it. Because your answer might be better than mine. (laughs) Salvation. More and more people being added and saved. Repentance. That's a sign of kingdom growth. Amen? Signs and wonders. Chains being broken is a sign of kingdom growth. Kingdom expansion. Wrong mindsets destroyed. That's a sign of kingdom growth. Freedom and liberty being experienced. That's a sign of kingdom growth. New ground being taken. Kingdom growth. Are you okay this morning? Are you comfortable? I don't want you to be comfortable. The kingdom isn't about comfort. It's about growth. Luke 4.18 is Jesus standing up and and getting given the scripture of Isaiah and declaring these words in the temple. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. There's salvation. With me? He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released. That's chains being broken. He has sent me so that the blind will see. That's mindsets being changed. And for the oppressed to be set free, there's freedom and liberty. And for that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is the very thing Jesus was bringing to the earth. He was bringing the kingdom. And it's not meant to stay there. In Galilee, it was meant to grow and expand and cover the whole world. And we're seeing that today. The kingdom of God is growing at an exponential rate around the world. Hundreds of thousands and millions of people are coming to Christ all the time. And it's what the kingdom was always meant to do. It was meant to just explode and expand and grow. If you are not into these types of thoughts and these types of principles of getting bigger and getting larger, I want to challenge you this morning. This is the essence of The kingdom of God, it was not meant to be small. It was not meant to be contained, but it was meant to break out. Amen? The kingdom of God, the same. Now, we are privileged to live in this beautiful part of South Coast, New South Wales. And uh, I, as much as anybody, want to try and keep the natural beauty of this place to myself. Anyone with me? I mean... Where else in the world can you go to the beach and if you find yourself sharing the beach with one other person, you only have to go to the next beach to get the one next one to yourself. Like anti-development. I can stand people that, you know, anti-development. I can understand the thinking behind that. It's like, we don't, you know, if you want crowds, go somewhere where there's crowds, but let's leave. I can understand that thinking, you know. Uh, But that's not the thinking of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not to contain what you have been given. It's never meant to be just for you. There's always more for somebody else. And what you have is meant to grow. Not meant to be the same all the time. Southland Church is not to be the same. Southland Church is meant to grow. It's meant to expand. It's meant to get larger. It's meant to get more influential. 
you know, this is not a church that you come to just because it's small family country town church and you love that about it and you don't want that to change. Now, I love the spirit of that and the spirit of that does not need to change. But there's, wherever there is more people outside of the church than inside the church, the church needs to grow. The church needs to expand. The church needs to reach out. And we're going to continue to do that. The Lord gave me a vision three years ago that by the end of 2018, we'd have 150 people here on Sunday mornings. And 2018 has crept up on me quite quickly. We're almost there. But I believe he'll do it. Because the kingdom of God doesn't stay the same. It expands and it grows at an exponential rate sometimes. Interestingly though, Jesus never chased a crowd. The crowd always chased Jesus. He, you always read the stories where he, he pulls away from the crowd. And he jumps in a boat in, to get away from the crowd. He never got into a boat to chase down a crowd. Oh, there's people over there. Was, there's something about the kingdom of God which will just naturally attract, naturally grow if it's healthy. If it's healthy. There's a key there. If the kingdom of God is healthy, its natural response or the natural outcome is growth. Same thing with a child, right? You don't have to tell a child to grow. They naturally will grow. So long as they are healthy, they will grow. You don't have to tell a tree or tell a plant to grow. If it's healthy, plants, I'm not sure, it will grow. Am I right, Robbie? They tell me that's what happens with plants, I'm not sure. So growth isn't necessarily the focus of the kingdom, but health is. Because growth is just the byproduct of the healthy kingdom. Amen? So let's get back to this story. Jesus is gathering a crowd, gathering followers. He's attracting people all over the place. The kingdom of God is growing. People are bat- being baptized. There's repentance. There's healings. There's miracles happening. There's fame. Fame is starting to break out and people are hearing about this Jesus all over the place. It's the kingdom of God expanding. But I want to bring you back now to John chapter 4, the very next passage after we read about this expansion. And things take a real change in direction. John chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, it says this, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making even more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself wasn't baptizing him, his disciples were. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. This is fascinating to me. All of a sudden, the build-up of all of creation, all of eternity, was finally starting to see the kingdom of God explode and grow and take over the known world. But Jesus, seeing this and hearing that the the Pharisees were starting to talk, oh, he's gathering momentum, he was seeing the kingdom growing. It says, so he left Judea, and he went back to Galilee. Is it? I get those words wrong. This is fascinating to me because 
if our goal in life personally, if you are after success and growth and things like that, once you start to see it, you want to keep digging deeper, don't you? You want to revel in the most of that. But Jesus sees that it's gathering momentum and pulls away, leaves Judea, goes back to Galilee. So he left Judea and he returned to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria on the way. This comes, this is the the beginning of my favorite passage. I I believe I say that a lot about different scriptures, but this is my favorite. John chapter 4, it's the woman at the well. Remember this story? I'm not going to go right into this story. I'm assuming you've heard this story or at least the the background of it, a woman, an outcast woman, Samaritan, would come and take water during the day from a well, and Jesus, he was there by himself. He's on his way back to Galilee, but he's compelled, the Bible says, to go through Samaria, where there's possibly even less crowds of people interested in him. But he's compelled to go there. He sends his disciples off to go and get food, As he sits by a well and waits for a single Samaritan woman to come and draw water. And here is probably one of the most profound connections between God and man found in Scripture. One of the most profound stories we have is this chapter when there is no crowds, there is no disciples, it's just Jesus and a lady who has gone through all sorts of relational heartache and hard times, who has nothing to give society or even to engage and enter into community. She's like an outcast. And just him and her. And you read this story, and I'm not going to preach on it because it's all well, my time's already gone. This is the one story that Jesus is happy to say who he is. Every other story, heal someone, don't tell anyone, you know, keep it, a, keep it a secret, hush, hush. But this is the one, the story where he finds himself standing eyeball to eyeball to a, a single Samaritan woman who's the one the world's been waiting for. Anyway, that's just beside the point. But it intrigues me that he leaves behind growth, expansion, kingdom, For one lady. And he was compelled to do it. It's not. It's years. Go to where the people are. Go to where the crowds are. Tell as many people as you can. You've only got three more years of doing this. But he'll leave behind what we would think is most important and chase down the one. Compelled to go and meet one lady sort out her emotional needs, bring healing to her, bring salvation to one. Fascinating. And blows my mind just that little bit. Thanks, Kev. Luke chapter 15 says this scripture when he's describing what the kingdom of God is like. This is Jesus speaking. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, What will he do? Won't he leave behind the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? 
Now think about that. I wouldn't do that. You're in the wilderness. You wouldn't leave behind 99 now to go and search for one stupid lost sheep that was their own fault they tore away from the pack. You're making the rest of them vulnerable now. But something about what Jesus was on about, he's trying to get across to us, you know, is, is an, a message in its extreme. And even when he finds it, the lost sheep, won't he joyfully carry it home on his shoulders? Not carrying it home on his shoulders, you stupid sheep, don't do that again. You know, it goes, he goes to the point of saying he will joyfully carry the sheep home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he'll call together his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me. For I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. This is the nature of our God. If nothing else, if these stories are even just nature and the heart of this God that we struggle to get our head around. The chapter goes on from there and it talks about another example of the lost coin. It's the same thing when, when somebody loses a lost coin and, and they turn the whole house upside down trying to find the lost coin. The Bible says, and, and, when, and when she finds the lost coin, won't she call together a party with all the neighbors and celebrate she's found a lost coin? Ridiculous, because the party cost more than the coin was worth. But this is the nature of our God. Extravagant and silly and relentless in his love for us. And in particular, the love for the one. Even over the love of the crowd, the love of the one. What a God. Doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense. I'm going to finish with this scripture. Romans 9 in the message version is Paul writing and he's quoting again the prophet Isaiah. He says this, if each grain of sand on the seashore was numbered and the sum labeled chosen of God. Let me say that again. If the grains of sand on the seashore are numbered and the sum labeled chosen of God, they'd be numbers still and not names. Salvation comes by personal selection. God doesn't count us. He calls us by name. Arithmetic is not his focus. Did you get that? He doesn't just get the gather like the sand on the seashore and label them. They're the children of God. And you're just one in that in the midst of that multitude. No, he doesn't count you by number, he calls you by name. Oh, 
Why don't you close your eyes this morning? Some of you needed to hear this this morning. Some of you needed to know that he is the God that is willing, fitting into society and bring healing to you. That's his nature to do that. You're still wondering what kind of God this is? That's the kind of God this is. That's the kind of God that we worship and we sing to. That even though he is worthy of the worship of all of creation, and he receives it, he is listening out for your voice because you're not a number in the midst of the crowd. You're a name. And he knows you by name. Oh, what a saviour. Isn't he wonderful? Hallelujah. We're so thankful. We're so grateful, God. Just keep your eyes closed for one moment. The cool thing is, if you get before the Lord in a healthy way, if your life is lived before the Lord, in a healthy way that the scriptures describe, growth will come natural to you. The things you may have hoped for or dreamed for in life will come to you. It's inevitable. Growth, expansion, elevation in a healthy way. If you're in the kingdom, and you're walking with the Lord in a healthy way, you watch these things just being attracted to your life. Broken relationships will become mended as you're walking with the Lord in a healthy way. Forgiveness will flow in replace of bitterness with those around you as you walk healthily before the Lord. Why don't you all just stand your feet This morning, I'm just going to pray over you. I'm going to pray for you. Some of you, these words that I pray need to be your very words that you pray from your heart. I'm going to do it for you. You can just amen to it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I'm overwhelmed that you know my name. I'm overwhelmed that you felt compelled during your journey to track me down, to find me. It overwhelms me. You didn't have to do that. You probably shouldn't have done that, but you did that. Lord, I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. Every day of my life, every moment in my day, Lord, I let go of trying to chase down growth and expansion in these kingdom principles. I've tried to do it sometimes in my own strength. But I know the key is a healthy relationship with you. So Lord, as I work on my relationship with you, I welcome the kingdom to bring growth into my life bring expansion. 
but let us never lose sight of the one of that one person that wanders in who has their own story who has their own hurts and their own needs may that capture our heart may that get us excited more so than the numbers we thank you for being our God you're amazing king we love to serve you and worship you God bless you all this morning feel free to grab a cup outside tea and coffee and Sundays God bless We'll see you all next week. Next Sunday, enjoy the last week of school holidays. God bless.